leave the gun. Take the cannoli. This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my friend will decide if the movie was better late, that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I am your host. This week, I am joined by returning guest, Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello. And we're watching a movie that he has never seen before. The Godfather from 1972. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you. So quick disclaimer today we are doing this episode over skype so if the sound sucks as always blame them but uh i want to add a little bit of extra introduction today because this is a very special episode i've been looking forward to this for so long so long i love the godfather i know it's one of those top line best movie of all time movies and i'm just so excited to be doing it i i really wanted to get someone special for this episode. And so when I couldn't, Ian, you were the first person I thought of. Thank you. Right? That means a lot to me. Yeah. So, you know, Josh turned it down and I was like, well, Josh. you know what? I bet Drew would really like this. And then he was busy. And so, you know, I thought maybe Aaron had seen it, but Aaron's seen it. So, yeah, a little long story short, a couple hours later, I was like, Ian would be perfect for this. So it sounds like I'm in the top 10. You are near the top 10. All right. All right. So, Ian, you've never seen The Godfather. Nope. How did that happen? Uh, I don't know. I Because, I mean, look, I feel like this is one of those movies where parents show their kids a lot. It's on TV all I, the time. It's, it's hard. To, you know, it's part of classes. It's hard to miss this so, one, I think. I never watched it in any class. Um when we used to go and rent movies um the godfather was one of those cassettes that was like the double cassette it's got the intermission yeah and i was always a little a little intimidated by that um and also like when i was a kid and we'd rent a bunch of movies it was usually like action flicks with my dad it wasn't usually quality film but even as you grew up like when you got to be you know, in your 20s, even, you ne- were never like, oh, man, you know, that's the age where maybe you might start watching good. Have you seen Goodfellas? Yes. So you've seen gangster movies. You never wanted to see 
the granddaddy of them all? No, actually, that's not true. I've been wanting to see it for a while, and, you know, it's never on Netflix or Amazon or anything like that. So it's been... I've always had to make an extra effort, which uh, I'm not generally inclined to do. So Totally. Yeah. Um, it, t- it took something like this to actually push me towards finally seeing it. All right. All right. Cool. Well, I want to I want to throw out this uh, little fun be- glance behind the curtain here, which is that um, when I tell people about the pod and people say they want, you know, are interested in it and they give movies that they haven't seen. I was like, well, what's something, you know, that falls into this cat, the- these categories? What what might be a good movie you haven't seen? for this podcast the godfather is the most common answer i get literally no one has ever seen the godfather i don't know how it's considered so good because from my research no one's actually seen it right well it's hard to set aside how long is it three hours three and a half yeah about three hours yeah it's not that easy to to fit that in in between work and sleep and whatever well, but I mean, look, man, movies, sometimes movies are long, you know? I mean, Star Wars movies can be two and a half hours. People watch them. Right. And also, if it's not available on one of the popular streaming sites, uh, it, you know, people aren't, like me, aren't going to make the effort, generally. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I, I just wanted to remind you, Ian, that I had many options for who I was going to give this yeah. episode to. And you have a you have poor judgment, so you gave it to me. That's the long and short of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the top three I usually get, uh, there's three I always get. It's Avatar, the James Cameron movie, Schindler's List, and The Godfather. I've seen those Schindler's are... List. Oh, good for you. Mm. But yeah, those, those are the three movies that, uh, according to this podcast research no one has ever actually seen it's kind of weird that avatar would be in the same category as the godfather and schindler's list which are like widely considered the greatest couple of movies ever well there's that yes but i think the reason people think of it and the reason why it's a weird response is that it's also up until a few days ago the biggest movie of all time and yet no one appears to have actually seen it biggest in terms of money money okay money made yeah Yeah. how do they make all the money if no one's actually watching it merchandise that's what i'm saying maybe the whole thing is some kind of scam james cameron's running yeah like titanic i've never seen it have you nope i'm not even sure there was a titanic yeah where is it now do they have a boat? I don't see a boat. Where's this Titanic they keep talking about? They say about? it's at the bottom of the ocean. Like, yeah, sure, that's awfully convenient. Mm-hmm. I've never even seen this ocean you're talking about. <laughs> Honestly, that's, like, not even that far removed from actual conspiracy theory thinking. <laughs> yeah, like the never landing on the moon. Uh, I wasn't there. <laughs> okay. Um, so... Show me the birth certificate. Oh my god, Jesus Christ, the moon's birth certificate. I have to hear about that one more time. So stupid. Okay. We get what we need. Neil Armstrong can't bend steel beams. (laughs) Okay, okay. So The Godfather. Has this movie got any kind of reputation for you? Like, have you heard any hype? Uh, Well, you know, what we've alluded to already, a lot of critical acclaim a lot of 
iconic uh, moments and breakthrough performances for a lot of famous actors. Um, I actually don't know everyone that's in it. I know Marlon Brando's in it, obviously, but he was already famous. Um, and Pacino, and isn't Robert Duvall in it? I don't know. And Do you want me to write that down as a prediction? Yes, I predict that Robert Duvall and Joe Pesci are in it. Joe Pesci, okay. Unless I'm getting this confused with Goodfellas. Because he's definitely well, maybe, in Goodfellas. Maybe but he's I, in a lot of gangster movies. Yeah, I kind of don't like Joe Pesci. Even in Goodfellas? Yeah, no, I hated him in Goodfellas. You hated him in Goodfellas? I hated his character, which means he's probably doing a good job. Well, yeah, that's that's sort of the thing, right? Yeah, but, like, all his, like, and I watched, um, what's that other one that's supposed to be, uh, Raging Bull? I couldn't get through Raging Bull. I thought that was a bad movie. I haven't movie. seen that one. It's very bad. It's very bad. It's boring. I didn't like You're gonna it. You're going to get hate mail. Whatever. Because yeah. um, at the end of this, we're going to read out your address. Okay. It was just one of the, I mean, not to get sidetracked, but it was one of those movies that I couldn't root for a single character yeah 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 so like i have difficulty with films like that too when the acting is i mean the acting was good and everything you know it was well written but like i didn't enjoy it right right um is there anyone else you think might be in this film there's got to be a woman in this right i mean maybe it's called the godfather not the godmother and it's true I guess it's right in the title. There, there, there are no women in this movie. Could be famous for having an all-male cast. Yeah, so I, I know surprisingly little about this, even though it's um, such a popular film for such a long time. Um, okay. I can't tell you why exactly. It's just that I always knew this was going to be on the list of things I see, and I purposely sort of avoid... Um, you know details. spoilers well, yeah just because not that who's in it would be a spoiler necessarily but details that could lead to spoil spoilers or right i'd right. like everything to be f- as fresh as possible the first time okay well, that's, that's fair position but uh, let's see if maybe we can tease out some other stuff so uh do you know who directed the movie coppola maybe is that your guess yes okay but with with the disclaimer that I'm not convinced that Coppola or Scorsese are different people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So what do you think, Ian, that this movie is about? I I mean, it's about the mob and okay. the, so I know it's a gangster movie and all hmm. gangster movies are about uh, the family and uh, the sort of uh, inner conflicts of the mob fam- family, you know, people. What do you mean by inner conflicts? Uh, you know, people suspect people, other people of being a rat. And then so they kill them. But then uh, that person gets revenge, killing the person that killed the person that they thought was a rat. Um, and then suspicion towards each other of that type of scenario unfolding um this is actually a pretty complex plot you're starting to lay out here no but that's the that's like the um that that's the formula for every mob movie Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. always like one like one member is either betraying or worried about being betrayed or paranoid about being betra- betrayed and it right. snowballs into a lot of murder and um real betrayal. Gotcha. That's how the family falls apart is because of all the uh paranoia about betrayal. Yeah. And when I say family, I mean the gang, but also probably the family. Right, right, right. Because, right. you know, they're usually pretty closely associated. Okay. Okay. Anything else you might think uh, it might be about? Then after that, I have no idea. I I could not even begin to guess. Hmm. Okay. I, okay. Assu- I assume there'll be some element of law enforcement involved somehow what do you think that's going to consist of so well this this might lead into my other prediction oh that laid on me that there is no good guy Uh uh-huh so when when you say good you mean there'll be a protagonist but they won't necessarily be a good guy it'll be like raging bull where like you're (laughs) not really rooting for the protagonist because he's a bad person i see i see that's a that could make for a good movie. I mean, you didn't like Raging Bull, but it's a complex character, yeah. you know, design. Right. Um so with respect to the point about law enforcement, I think there'll be cops and detectives involved, but I don't think I don't think that they'll mean a whole lot. They may be just cannon fodder. Okay. So not a lot. So this isn't. You don't think this is going to be like a Dante, uh, Donnie Brasco situation? I've never seen Donnie Brasco. Well, it's it's uh the uh or uh, you don't think this is going to be a Point Break scenario where there's a uh, never seen Point Break. <laughs> you don't think this is going to be a Fast and Furious scenario where there's a uh, an undercover cop in the gang? Oh, uh, so you mean like a The Departed? Uh, scenario yeah you don't think this is a departed scenario (laughs) there's an undercover cop i i don't think so you think there'll be a rat or at least suspicion of a rat but not an undercover cop right yeah i see i see or maybe maybe it's uh you know it's one of the mobsters but he's doing it to get like a plea deal or immunity from something else or maybe to knock someone off so he can take their place yeah yeah that's again that's every mob totally totally you've never seen point break no you've never even listened to the episode on point break episode what you're a bad friend well luckily i'm your 12th best friend apparently so you are if like i was doing a fantasy draft in a 12 team league you would definitely be in consideration for a high-end second round pick so basically, I'm at the turn. So basically, a first rounder. You're, you know, I I, I start thinking about you near the turn. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were talking before about uh, there being iconic shots and scenes and moments. Can you think of any? So I don't have any iconic lines uh, like when we did uh, the Silence of the Lambs one, where there were iconic lines that I knew. Uh, right about like it, whether or not you would fuck me because yeah. i would fuck me oh my god i'd fuck me hard sorry i, I just uh really <laughs> like that quote um you know 
at work the other day, uh, people were talking about that movie, and I I said that line just kind of out of context. <laughs> it was in context. <laughs> well, but like randomly without any introduction. So <laughs> it was um, I got some Don't weird. You looks. work in a really buttoned down office. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why. I think that's what made it uh, so funny. That's how I got fired. Um, <laughs> I'm getting paid for this, right? Oh, yeah. I'm going to pay you like 10% of what I make off of this project. Um, so so you, you have quotes or maybe something kind of like a so quote. So the iconic moments or images that I that I have is uh, Marlon Brando's voice. Cause, and the reason I know this was from, I think it was Robin Hood Men in Tights. Where they had the guy that was pretending to be, he was like supposed to be a spinoff of Marlon Brando's character and he had like the so, cotton balls in his mouth. Well, can you um maybe do it for us so that we know what you're talking about? The, I want to say is, what I want to say is, I, I got an offer you can't refuse. Not bad. Not bad. You want to I can't do that? it at all. That was terrible. What are you talking about? Not bad. Well, you know, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Just cut that part out. No. But you, <laughs> you're such a fucker. Um, yeah, well, uh, that was going to be sort of a question I was going to ask. Was like, is there less a quote and more like a particular way of speaking yeah, that maybe it, you've heard of before? Yeah, it's Marlon Brando's way of speaking and the offer you can't refuse bit. I don't even know if it's like the exact wording of it. What and do you think an offer you can't refuse is? The... You have to do a job or you're going to get killed or someone you love is going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. No other quotes or lines or anything like that? No other quotes or lines. And I think, and I don't know if it, I mean, it might not even be the right movie. Uh, isn't there something with a head of some animal or something in someone's bed? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. That's literally, that's it. I, I don't even know which animal. I want to say if it's like a horse or something, but I could be wrong. Okay. What do you think is going on there? Was he having sex with it? No. I th- I think that was like, it's supposed to signal like someone's coming for you or someone died. So the hierarchy changes in some way. Oh, it's it's sort of like uh, this. This marks that now you're the new Godfather when you find. Oh no! Or it marks that you're next on the hit list. Like, oh, yeah. It's like the black spot for pirates. Right. Yeah. Or like the Ace of Spades. Um, Is the Ace of Spades? Wasn't uh... that in Peaky Blinders? Oh, um, I don't remember. They, there was some like black mark of some kind. Mm, but basically okay. that. Wait, so you've seen Peaky Blinders, but you haven't seen The Godfather? Peaky Blinders is better than The Godfather. Whoa! Writing that down is something to come back to. (laughs) I mean, and I like Peaky Blinders. Is he one of them Peaky Blinders? (sighs) So, no other shots or scenes that you can specifically remember? Absolutely none. Okay. Um... Let me ask you this. What are some... You've alluded to them already a couple of times, but uh, let's dial in on this. Some cliches or tropes or classic things of gangster 
stories, either movies or shows or whatever, that you think may have come from this movie? Um, uh, or just just a few of those classic tropes that we can see right, if maybe they're so, even in the movie. Right, right. So, you know, besides like the typical mob activities of murder and other sorts of crime. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's always um there's always the mob boss. Um there's always the people loyal to him. There's always some guy who's probably a little emotionally unstable who gets gets into something that's too big for his britches and becomes too much of a liability and gets killed. There's always threats of hurting family members as a way to coerce people to do things. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's, you know, obviously it's one thing to put yourself at risk, but most people wouldn't put their family at risk. Of course, of course. Um, There's usually, I feel like there's always the mob boss and his wife always have a much more even relationship than you would think for someone that awful and with that much power. Uh Uh-huh. Like, she's always the one that he listens to. I see. And, you know, there'll be a lot of spaghetti and meatballs. Uh-huh. That's only kind of a joke. I mean, there is, like, with any, uh, like... Goodfellas thing, is really food-focused. Yeah, there's going to be some food-focus, because that's part of, like, you know, family Being gathering Italian. around the table. Yeah. I'm trying to not sound like I'm racist towards Italians. Well, why don't you go right ahead and be racist against Italians, Ian? The thing about Italians is, no, um... The thing you gotta know about Italians... Yeah. I always found, like, the sort of Brooklyn, New Jersey, like, usually Italian, but not necessarily Italian, like, mob-type character kind of annoying. Do you Um, think they'll be annoying in this movie? Yeah, I'm actually, like, my... Another one of my predictions is that I won't like this movie. Whoa. Why? I am not going to be able to empathize with any character or feel invested in the plot. Um, Why? Just... I'm like the furthest thing away from a mob person. So? It's not like you're in the peak of physical health, Ian, but you can still enjoy watching what Captain America does. First of all, I could destroy Captain America. I beg your pardon? Captain America's a pussy, and you know that. Why don't you think you're going to like The Godfather, Ian? I just don't think this is going to be something that speaks to my worldview. So you think you're going to have a moral issue? No, no, I'm fine with Peaky. So, like, I'll I'll compare it to Peaky Blinders. Uh, you love Peaky Blinders, lo- yeah? But so, uh, Tommy Shelby uh, has a lot of um, he has a lot of depth. I feel like. Oh, I see. Um, so you think that um, in this movie, the characters won't have enough depth? I don't think they'll be as emotionally vulnerable. Okay. Oh. Okay. I think it's more like a like a war film, right? Where 
it's it's the action itself that creates the drama instead of like the heart the character. Yeah. But I also suspect that I'm wrong considering there's so many like you know well-known method like Juilliard graduates in this film. Juilliard graduates? I assume they're Juilliard graduates. That's that's what you're going with as your synonym for good actor. Yeah. Juilliard graduates. Yeah. You okay. know. Uh-huh. Um well that's an interesting uh prediction, Ian. I guess we're gonna have to see how that how that works out. I wanna ask you another specific question. Is there any music that you know is in this movie or uh isn't think Ave, you'd recognize? Uh, Ave Maria? I don't know. Ave Maria I'm I'm familiar with the song, uh, but uh, anything else you don't you, you don't know if there might perhaps be Godfather music. What's Godfather music? Maybe it has a theme. I mean, yeah, sure, it may probably does, but I don't know it, or at least I don't okay. know that I know it. Well, there's a very real possibility that as soon as I hear it, I'm like, oh, so that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you said uh, you think that there's going to be a lot of action and violence and it's kind of a almost like a war movie. Do you think anyone in this movie will die in a particularly iconic way? Yes. And I think I would recognize it when I see it. But you don't know what it might be. But yet. I don't know what it might be. Okay. Okay. It's even possible that more than one person dies in this movie. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people die. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for specific questions I have for you. Do you have any other predictions you want to get down before we actually watch the movie? No, that was my major one. All right. Okay. Well, I think we've got a good set here and some very daring ones. Like, I'm not going to like this movie basically because it's bad. Well, I think it's going to be like Raging Bull. Like, yeah, I can see how it's a good movie, but I... This movie is bad, just yeah. like Raging Bull. Yes. Ballsy, ballsy stances, Ian. Yeah. Very courageous. I like it. <laughs> I like that you're not afraid to put yourself out there. Yeah. More like Raging Bullshit. Oh! <laughs> cool. All right. Well, in that case, I think we're ready to finally, after all this time, watch The Godfather. Cool. I'm really excited to do this. I am going to give you a little hype for myself. I do really, really like this movie. So I'm quite excited to have an opportunity to watch it again here. Awesome. Let's do it. All right, baby. I'll catch you on the other side. All right. So we're back. Ian, what'd you think of The Godfather? It was good. Yeah? Yeah. Well, cool. I'm glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> I just watched it last night. Uh, so, you know, it's it's nice and fresh. I wouldn't have thought that this is considered like a top five movie of all time had i not known it 
going into it though interesting okay well we'll dig a little deeper into the details of that but um before we actually get to the movie proper i'm going to tell you a little bit of background stuff about the film and here's the thing so i don't know if you know uh the thing with apocalypse now how that's like the francis ford coppola movie that was famously troubled in the the making of it it was like so much of a struggle that there's actually a documentary just about the making of the movie no i didn't oh yeah well so so apocalypse now is one of those famously tough productions but what i found out in researching this film is that the godfather also was an incredible struggle getting it made so i guess yeah so well i'll tell you but first (laughs) the godfather is based on a book it was written by mario puzo and the book was a huge hit and according to wikipedia anyway it was actually the best-selling published thing in history for a few years after it came out like that's how big of a hit it was when did you say it came out um the late 60s i think like 67 69 kind of okay yeah um and so uh even before the book was published uh he sold the rights to it to paramount he sold it for twelve thousand five hundred dollars and an option for eighty thousand dollars if it was ever made into a movie so probably could have done a little bit better but yeah a little bit better you know well you'll you'll see why he sold it in a second so as you know normally my research into these films is pretty superficial i basically just like surf wikipedia and some other pages but this time because it was the godfather i actually put in a tiny bit of effort i even ian read a book you read the book or a book about no no i didn't read the book i i haven't heard the greatest things about the actual book but i read uh what i read was this book by this guy robert evans do you know who that guy is nope so robert evans is this old school hollywood producer and um Patton oswald has a whole bit about this guy because he's one of these ridiculous figures who like he he kind of has he's kind of like uh, you know, that's Hollywood for you. You're up, you're down, you're in, you're out. But that's just the game. I went and met Paulie Shore and did ten lines of coke with him. And then, you know, we went and got all these prostitutes. And that's how we got the picture made. It's Tinseltown. You know, he's one of those types. Yeah. Probably what not hanging out do? with Paulie Shore. but Welcome a... to Hollywood, kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, he's, he's just like the the coked up 1970s like sleazy Hollywood style kind of guy. His jacket probably has a large lapel. Oh, I'm sure. He wears like giant sunglasses even inside. But he was a really successful producer. So he produced this movie. He also produced like Rosemary's Baby and a bunch of other successful films. So he and, you know, he was intimately involved at Paramount. He was their head of production for a while. So he... He has stories to tell, not just about the movie-making business, but all the sordid shit that went on behind the scenes. Right. And he wrote it all down in this memoir called The Kid Stays in the Picture. So I grabbed that, and I read the chapter about the making of The Godfather. 
And um, a little bit about what it says is, uh, one, he met with Mario Puzo, and the reason why Puzo was uh, willing to sell the rights so cheap was because he needed $10,000 right away because he had to pay off some gambling debts. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so that was the story behind that. Um, And then Evans, for his part, took a pretty strong hand in the making of it. He had a lot of opinions on how it should go. One thing he takes credit for is that um, Evans wanted to make sure that the movie was very authentically, ethnically Italian. He wanted it to be, quote, ethnic to the core. Okay. You know, so um, the, the strong, you know, like italian flavor to it i mean even though it's about organized crime you know movies about organized crime previously had been a little more um it just had a much more assimilated americanized gloss to it right and and this time he wanted to be as much as it is a a, you know a gangster movie he also wanted it to be about italian americans so yes i think mission accomplished there absolutely Yeah, yeah definitely um but so they, they start trying to get the movie made, and they actually had a lot of trouble getting directors to sign on, because at the time, and remember this is before The Godfather had come out and made gangster movies kind of prestige, so prior to this movie getting made, gangster movies and films about the mafia were considered to be kind of sleazy trash, and even... Even the idea of making the movie was actually considered kind of morally dubious to the point where, like, prominent established directors were like, I won't sully myself by making a, a mafia crime movie, you know? Right. Um, so, I mean, I imagine its reputation is very much driven by that as, as like, the first, you know, good picture about organized crime. Very much so, yeah. And, you know, so many, you know, now we consider it almost a genre unto itself. And so many great films have been in that genre. But this is the one that, like, makes it that way. Right. Yeah. So maybe it deserves uh, a better reputation than I was thinking. It's just there's been so many good organized crime, you know, pieces, whether it's a show or or a movie. Right. But I I wasn't blown away. Well, but they owe it all to the Godfather. You know, yeah. they, they couldn't have existed without it. Um, and so now I'll talk a little bit about the making of it. So they get Francis Ford Coppola, who um, he was still pretty new. He hadn't made that many films yet. And um, he, he here, here's everything that went wrong. So Coppola himself was dealing with, he was being very indecisive about a lot of things, which was wasting time. And when he was decisive, he wanted to make very expensive choices so like evans wanted to make this film quick and cheap so he wanted the movie shot in kansas city for one million dollars and he wanted it to be in to them modern times like set in the 70s and he just he was just like shoot it and put it out like that's Mm -hmm. it coppola wanted to film on location so like in new york city and in freaking sicily and um he fought really hard for that, so he wound up getting it and winning that fight. They got a bigger budget, and they were allowed to shoot on all these locations. But um, it it also led to this. It was a very bloated production, and there were cost overruns, and he went over time, and the costs were ballooning 
constantly. So it's like a nice little foreshadow of what happened to Apocalypse Now eventually. Hmm. Other stuff. So is it him? Is it Coppola's fault? Is it just, is he the poison pill in, in his movies where everything goes wrong? Yeah, sort of, because a lot of the, um, the things I read here about the problems with Coppola mirror what I learned about Apocalypse Now. But at the same time, he it's also, on the flip side of the coin, everything that went right, because all of these choices that he agonized over or fought about or spent a lot of money on wound up really paying off artistically. So, you, you know, it's it, he's the total yin and yang of the situation. Um, right, yeah. yeah. So... It, you know, a lot of it went right, too. Um, here's more that went wrong, though. So the production was so chaotic that the cinematographer hired to do the job, it, it, he got so frustrated with how loose and disorganized Coppola was. Like Coppola, and this is, I know this from Apocalypse Now, too, he allows a lot of improv with the actors, and he, do, he isn't the most organized person when it comes to, you know, shooting scenes and having a schedule for the day. So the, the cinematographer, this guy, uh, Gordon Willis, he got so frustrated that he would just refuse to work anymore. He's just like, screw this. I'm going to my trailer and I'm locking the door. Coppola got so angry about this that he storms off set too. And he kicked a hole in his door in a rage. And mm. apparently the fighting had been so bad that when the crew heard the bang from him kicking his door, they were all like, oh my God, he killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> like they actually thought he went up to his office and shot himself so i guess it was pretty bad but um it worked out though ultimately because willis did come back for godfather 2 and of course the film looks great so yeah know. no it does well it kind of does oh damn all right well hang on to that um but anyway so lots and lots of fights with the studio about you know money and how it's gonna go to the point where um you know, Evans is starting to think maybe I want to bring in a different director. Like apparently, uh, he thought about firing Coppola and bringing Elia Kazan in to finish the movie. Ugh. Yeah, but uh, he, he would have got outed for being a communist. I know. Yeah. Still, he's a talented director, so I guess that uh, papers over all of your sins, right? <laughs> but um, another thing that happened that's cool was there was an attempted coup from the editor. So this guy Aram Avakian was the editor of the movie and he calls Evans and he's like, this movie is fucking garbage. I'm looking at the dailies and this guy Coppola doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. You got to fire him right now. And so Evans is like, huh? So Evans watches the dailies and he's like, Oh no, this movie looks great. This like, this is going to, this is beautiful footage. I got to figure out what's going on. And what he realizes was that the editor was basically trying to get Coppola fired so that he could replace him. Oh, man. Yeah, but fortunately, Robert Evans did his homework, actually checking the dailies himself, realized what was going on, and told Coppola, like, fire that guy. Yeah. You know? It kind of went against him there. Yeah. It, it, it did not work out for that for that dude. Well, that's what he gets for being a dick. That's what you get for going against the family. Yeah, I know. And then the last couple of things. Number one, 
is that there were all these objections from Italian-American groups that heard about the movie being made, and they thought that, uh, they, they protested because they're like, we are worried that this is going to paint us in a very stereotypical light, you know, because as you maybe even picked up from the movie itself, like the image of Italian-Americans has not always been super positive and has been very stereotyped throughout the years, and they were worried that this movie would play into that. Yeah, well, I kind of thought it did, didn't it? Sort of. Um, and we can talk about how it did when we get to the legacy. But uh, here's the other thing about it, though, is that actual mafia people also didn't want the movie to be made because they were like, we don't want the attention and we don't want you like prying into our shit and putting it on screen. So they call one of the producers, this guy Al Ruddy, and they're like, hey, uh, don't make this movie and don't talk about us in this movie. You know, like, leave this alone. You mean and, one of the five families? Yes. Well, uh, actually, I'm glad you made that dis- distinction because hang on. They're like, we don't want this, so make it go away. And he was like, you go fuck yourselves. And he hangs up the phone. Oh. A little while later, he comes out of his house and his car has been shot up with a machine gun. Of course it has. Yeah. And he's like, oh, all right. So he had to get back in touch with the mafia and work something out with them. And what he negotiated was that the word mafia would never appear in the film. And instead, they used five the five families instead of oh, saying the mafia. I see. Yeah. But um, uh, what Evans says was the funny thing about it was that he managed to pull off this negotiation with them when, in fact... The word mafia was never in the script to begin with. So he basically made this deal with them, agreeing to something that was always going to happen. Well, what if they find out about that and and feel like they made a fool of him? He's going to get he's going to get got. I know. But apparently they liked the movie enough that it didn't didn't matter because it is a pretty good movie. So I don't know enough about the mafia. Is it really? Are is that the real names of the r- real five families? Are there a real five families? Like how much of that was fictional? Mm, I think uh, there were trappings of the real thing, but I'm I'm sure the names were changed. So it was it was one of the like New York people that um that called them. I'm not a hundred percent clear on that. It was just some guy. It was a guy. Some, some guy made a call. Some wise guy. Right. That's what he should have said. He should have said, what are you, some kind of wise guy? I'm hey, making this movie. I like that. I like that. I'm going to start using that. Um, <laughs> the last thing I want to mention as a fun fact is that um, the horse head is a real horse head. Oh, they got it from a butcher? They got it. From a dog food company. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, but it makes me feel so sad for the poor horsey. Well, what about the poor dogs? Oh, that's a good point. Thank you for uh, clearing my conscience, Ian. <laughs> Horses aren't as smart as dogs. Oh, so. but they're so beautiful. Anyway. Yes. So that that's just some fun background stuff. Um, Now let's move on to the director, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Ian, you were right. He is the director of this movie. Yeah, I knew I knew a couple things. Yep, you nailed it, dude. Um, <laughs> what did you? Uh, I mean, do you know his other work? What do you think of him? Uh, he did Lost in Translation, right? <laughs> and uh, indirectly. Um, 
you know, the aesthetics, I thought, were a little tacky at times. What do you mean? Like a little, a little vulgar or... Well, well, but what do you mean by that? So the wedding, I I didn't like the wedding. You didn't like the wedding at the beginning. Yeah, I thought that was kind of playing into a lot of stereotypes and, you know, just the, the, I guess that would be more, that would be more the art director, right? Who would, who I'd be criticizing, just like the palette and like the decorations and stuff like that. Maybe that's not really the director's fault. Could you see it, though, also maybe as being like we're showing, I mean, this is like traditional Italian. You see, know, I'm not I'm yeah. not sure that it is. I mean, I know it. I know it's it's the 1940s. So I, I and I obviously wasn't around. So maybe my sense of what was considered, you know, in style at the time was a little is, is a little skewed. So I'm not and I'm I'm not giving the entire movie uh knocks because of that necessarily it's just at like so a perfect example would be despite what you think of the of the script and the writing and everything was season eight of game of thrones to me each frame of that could be a painting hanging in a museum and i thought this movie was not as beautifully shot Right. I wouldn't put it up there with like the most beautifully shot films I've ever seen. I know this is an audio podcast, but my mouth is hanging like pretty wide open right now. I mean, I'm saying it's not the best. I'm not saying it's not okay. All of those like the the, the scenes in Sicily when I love the scenes in Sicily that was that they turned they turned around really well. Um, and, and I'm really just focusing on specifically the wedding. But I mean, it adds, it's, it's, it's all of that, you know, it's like what Robert Evans says, it's like that ethnic flavor and it, it creates such a sense of place and specificity. And like, you get such a it, sense of like the family and, and, and all the connections between people. It does. And, you know, I am not an Italian American, so, uh, you know. I, I guess I can't really say, but it, it did seem a little, you know, a little stereotypical to me. Hmm. Like, I don't know how actually real it was. Well, but this isn't stereotypical in the way of like, so, you know, uh, you, you talked about how you were worried that this was going to be about Italian Americans and that like New Jersey, New York, what you called that annoying way, which I'm sure will endear you to all the Italian American listeners. But yeah, both you know, of them. Right. But this, you know, this was not that. This was much more like, much more freshly immigrated and first yes. generation and like still strong ties to the, ho- the old country. And, you know, those traditions are still strong. Like, you didn't find any of that interesting no, or beautiful. I did. I, I found. Th- Oh, I wouldn't say beautiful, but I did find it interesting. Um, it, I, like you said earlier, I did, I do think that um, it wasn't, despite taking place in America, it was, didn't seem that American. Hmm. Uh, well, you didn't, uh, you didn't even think that when the first line of the movie is "I believe in America." No, <laughs> like if it wasn't for that first line and like the like maybe handful of references to New York and New Jersey. 
it could have existed anywhere. Man. Um, well, I don't agree, but we can continue moving on. By the way, no, I think that's I, an amazing I, first line for this film. Just throwing that out there. Because yeah. it's, a, it's a movie about, like, the American experience. It's about, you know, immigrants who don't have an easy way into the full, you know, spectrum of American society finding their way to actually make the American dream work for them. You know, to have the first line be, I believe in America. It's so, so poignant. I guess. Hmm. Well, anyway, um, I want to mention just about that wedding scene that talk about the cinematography a little bit too, which will be between um, Coppola and Willis, the, the cinematographer. So you'll notice that um, the, the first scene and the early scenes and all the scenes after too, where they're actually doing the business of organized crime, it's always very dark. Yeah. And that was um at the time the sort of like dark murky shady lighting was considered kind of a, a an unconventional and daring artistic choice because and you know while they were shooting it people kept being like you're not lighting it enough it's too underlit. But the idea there was to create this contrast where you have outside at the wedding you've got this the bright light and the gorgeous sun you know and all the white and the bright colors and that's you know the the public face of everything out in the harsh light of day whereas it's in these dark underlit dingy shady back rooms where the real business of underground dealings take place and it creates that contrast between like the public face and the private private dealings going on in the shadows yeah I mean, I thought that was very on the nose. Well, but at the time, it you know, it was considered, you know, revolutionary. Yeah. Understood. All right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Tough crowd. No, no, no. I mean, if you, if you, yeah, if you're comparing it against things that came after, that's probably not fair because people have had more time to evolve and rework things. Right. And rip it off. Uh, yeah. One last thing I want to mention about Coppola, though. Did I mean, I'm sure you know, like, Apocalypse Now and, you know, Dracula and stuff. But did you know he directed Jack? The Robin Williams movie? Yeah. Um, that is a Francis Ford Coppola joint. Really? Yeah, weird, right? With The one where he ages, like, four times as fast as... Yep. As, yeah, okay. Um weird that that is really weird it is yeah wasn't bill cosby in that too i don't remember i never even saw it i i just you know i thought that seemed like strange material for someone like yeah i think i saw it on a plane once when i was a little kid oh yeah was it any good i don't i mean i'm struggling to recall the details now so no All right. well anyway um let's move on to the cast so your prediction about the cast you got three out of four Brando, Pacino, and Duvall were all in this, but sadly, Ian, no Joe Pesci. Uh, that's a good thing, I think. He, yeah. You know, he would add to the sort of annoyance that I was referring to earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, I mean, you two engaged in a little bit of stereotyping here, though, in that you just assumed that Joe Pesci is in every gangster movie. <laughs> okay, besides The Godfather, name a gangster movie that Joe Pesci is not in. Um... Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, 
Ah, oh. all right, all right. The Godfather two. <laughs> but so uh, let's talk about some some people here. So you got Marlon Brando as mm-hmm. Vito Corleone, the Godfather. What'd yeah. you think? Well, I mean, it's Marlon Brando. Well, but it's it's I mean, arguably his greatest performance. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, did it live up to that? Yeah, of course it did. Oh, good. Yeah, good. the the acting in well, a couple of exceptions, the acting in in the film was was like as good as it gets. Yes. Um, especially uh, Brando and Pacino and I, Duvall. I would I would um, say James Caan is also pretty fantastic. Yeah, I thought Diane Diane Keaton was kind of not great. I kind of agree with you there, but uh, her part's not written very strong. Yeah, um, we can get into that if you want. Yeah, um, we'll I don't save wanna... her for later. Just stick yeah. to Brando for the moment, though. Uh, I mean, I you mean, were, it was you... great. It was, it was, it was like it was. It was know, everything it was, it was cracked up to be. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, he had the voice too that you were expecting. Was it exactly how you imagined it? It was exactly how I imagined it, but I want you to go back and delete the part of this podcast where I tried to make that voice because it was really bad. Oh, yeah. No, don't worry. I will absolutely do that. (laughs) So Brando, before he made this film, his career was actually kind of on a downswing. He was considered a little bit over the hill. And so Mario Puzo wanted him to be in it and Francis Ford Coppola wanted to be in it as well although he did also put forward that he would accept Laurence Olivier if he was available um, but uh, Paramount didn't want him uh, Robert Evans didn't really like that Brando had a reputation for being difficult which uh, I think is a pretty accurate um, yeah. rep from what I've a read little, a little rapey too <laughs> apparently um, yeah. but so uh, they wanted to get Ernest Borgnine that would have been interesting. It sure would have. But uh, they they wound up getting what they wanted, and they got, you know, one of the greatest film performances of all time, so I think it worked out okay. Um, Al Pacino played Michael Corleone. Has anybody aged less gracefully than Al Pacino? Oh, come on. Uh, I mean, he looks like a hobo now. Yeah. All right, look. But in this movie, he is so young and he's yeah. so handsome and like no, he was he was fantastic. Like he's amazing he, in this. I agree. He's absolutely he's, amazing. In this. I I don't even. There's something about and I know he's like really young, so I don't think it's just that. But he he seems like a completely different person in this part. Yeah, well, it it's before the um the the hua phase of Pacino's career. Right. You know, yeah. so so here's the thing. So, again, the studio didn't want him. And part of it was because, well, one, he was a nobody. He'd only been in a couple of films before this. And um, the other thing was that uh, his screen tests went pretty badly. The studio didn't like them. And part of it was that um, they can cons- like he was doing very minimalist acting, which I uh, was kind of starting to catch on at the time as a style but like they you know the the studio reps who watched it found it too boring you know they're right. like you're not he's not doing enough and so you know the exact thing that we seem to find so amazing about it was potentially going to cost him the role 
what eventually saved it and got in the role was uh, they sent dailies of his big murder scene that happens partway through the movie, and they felt like that was enough. They were like, oh, okay, he's compelling enough in this scene. Like, we'll let you use this guy. Yeah. No, I thought he was, I mean... Yeah, I, but I, but it's so interesting that he almost lost the role because he was so dedicated to having a very, you know, minimal, naturalistic style of acting, whereas now, in his later years, he's so well-known for being so over-the-top. Right, yeah. yeah. So, James Caan played Sonny Corleone. Yeah, R.I.P. For Sonny? Yeah, I mean... Because James Caan's the... alive. No. <laughs> um, is he? Yeah. What was the last thing he's done? Um, uh... Let I me... swear he was dead. No, he is alive. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he was the character that, like, uh, he's on the protagonist side, but it was kind of like the annoying one. Oh, you thought he was annoying? You know, he, he, you don't you don't have as much sympathy for him as you do for, like, Tom. Well, no, but, it, you know, just because he's, like, a hothead... And a little abrasive, I still find him so compelling. I mean, he clearly loves his family and his sister and his brothers. And, yeah. you know, he cares. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think he's great in this. And I'll, I'll talk about I think about he was it. great. I think he was a, I mean, I think James Conn did an excellent job. Yeah. Not knocking him. All right. Well, um, speaking of Robert Duvall, what would you think of him as Tom Hagen? Uh, he was awesome. Yeah, he's so good, right? Yeah. Again, a very, like, not showy performance, but just really, uh, really excellent. Right. Yeah. He's, he's so good. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, now that we're past the leads, I want to go a little bit faster through some of the other ones, but just call them out. So, um, we've got Diane Keaton as Kay Adams. Mm -hmm. This is pre-Annie Hall. So, you know, it's, it's not that Diane Keaton, but, uh, you, you found the role not great. Yeah. You know, it there was a sort of uh, theme of misogyny that kind of transcended the entire movie. And the women characters of, are not great in this. The women characters are, for the most part, really bad. And annoying. And annoying. And I and maybe they it just what they weren't given, uh, you know, good enough dialogue to do anything with. Uh, but I found, uh, you know, Diane Keaton and whoever the woman who played connie talia shire yeah i i thought they were both kind of bad yeah i i I actually agree with you and i don't think that's really a reflection on the actresses i think both of those roles are written in a way that makes them kind of annoying and it's too bad because both of those actresses are you know good actresses you got diane keaton was in annie hall and you know is diane keaton has had the career that she's had talia shire went on and did rocky after this and is you know a good actress so you know she's coppola's sister right no i didn't yeah and and so here's the funny thing though is that um you know you could point to it as being nepotism but apparently and i actually am not 100 percent sure this is true because i was reading this as part of people's accounts who might either not have necessarily known or might not have been telling the truth but what i read was that robert evans cast talia shire in the movie behind coppola's back as this weird like dick power move 
what's he trying to say? Like, now you owe me? Or uh, No, it, it was just kind of like, the. I, I mean, I don't know. Coppola just took it as like this weird thing where he was like, you cast my sister in my movie without consulting me. Right. You know? And so, and again, that, that could be apocryphal, but. You, you, you come to me in my house and you so disrespectfully hire my sister. Do you want to try what it again more to in do? a character? I can't. I can't do, the, do voice. the voice. I can't do the voice. Can you do the voice? <clears throat> you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding, and you don't even call me godfather. What have I done to deserve such such disrespect? What that have was I... good. Oh, well, thank you. That was good. That was good. Oh, thanks. Please um, stop now, though. <laughs> fine. Jesus. Uh... The last person I just want to mention specifically is John Cazale as Fredo Corleone. Uh, he was kind of annoying, too. He is. Um, but that's the point of the character, you know, because right. he's, he's the weak brother. He's um, the weak brother. And also, like, I'm pretty sure I went to college with, like, some version of that character. Right. What I want to mention about him as the actor, though, well, one, I think he's a good actor, but um, there's this interesting thing about him. So he uh, sadly died very young uh, from lung cancer. And the thing is, before he died, he appeared in five films, five full length films anyway. All five of them were nominated for Best Picture. Hmm. Godfather, which won. Godfather 2 which also won the conversation dog day afternoon and the deer hunter, which also won. So three, three of them even won best picture. He's so he's like the Tom Brady of, uh, yes, exactly. Basically. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. Yes. It's very interesting. So anyway, um, uh, lastly, before we move on from the cast, there's this fun thing. So, uh, not to spoil it, Ian, but Robert De Niro appears in The Godfather 2. But before that, Robert De Niro was actually cast in this movie. Robert De Niro was going to play Polly. Which one's Polly? Oh, Polly? Yeah, you ain't going to see him no more. Oh, was he the driver that called out sick? Yeah, he, he, okay. had, he had that part. But then De Niro quit so that he could take a role in another movie. That opened up because Al Pacino quit in order to make The Godfather. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that fun? Uh, what De Niro movie was that? I didn't recognize it. I could look it up if you want. but uh, No, no, no. I can Google it. I mean, De Niro's career really like kicks off with The Godfather 2. So. He, is he a, he's a main character in Godfather 2? He is, yes. All right. So anyway, so yeah, so we've talked about all that other extraneous stuff. Now uh, let's maybe get into the actual plot of the film. Okay. Yeah, so the movie opens, and immediately the first thing I think you have to notice is that music, right? Mm-hmm. Did you recognize it once you heard it? No. Really? You didn't recognize the Godfather theme? No. Wow, it's so famous. And it's so good. Did you think it was good? I thought it was very good, but no, I, I didn't recognize it. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's one of the best, I mean, most recognizable for the best of reasons themes. I just, I get chills anytime I hear it. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll recognize it going forward, but. Yeah. I just, I think it has such a like, 
it's like so it's got that dignified prestige picture quality and yet there's almost this subtle sense of menace to it yeah it definitely has the jaws thing going (laughs) maybe but uh also uh no no ave maria though ian why did i think there was ave maria in it well there's kind of religious-y music towards the end and during the big uh climactic baptism scene right but it's not ave maria Right, yeah. I think I was thinking of something. No, you're just wrong. (laughs) And so we get that first scene, and I love that the first line of the movie is, I believe in America. And we get this this scene where um, uh, no Sicilian can refuse a request on his daughter's wedding day. Is that true? I mean, I guess. Uh, Have you heard that? That's sort of a gangster movie cliche now, too. Is it no, I've never heard that before and I don't I maybe I should have actually done some googling on Sicilian culture. Mm. Um I've been to Sicily. Is it nice? Well, it's a li- no well, I don't know. Is it I annoying, only... Ian? Did you find it super annoying cuz you hate Italians? You fucking I was racist. Only... <laughs> I was only in one city, Messina, and Messina the people there were lovely. Um so they were the good ones? Is that what you're saying? No, it was a little bit like the Italian version of Worcester, Massachusetts. Eee. I mean, it, it, you know, it it was very raw. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyway, so you get all these people, you know, there's the, the wedding happening and you get all these people cycling through to ask for favors because, you know, can't turn something down on the day that my daughter is to be married what have i ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully his but, daughter uh, wasn't really much of a character was she connie oh that was her wedding yeah that's connie's wedding oh i never put that together oh, i thought yeah. there was like a separate daughter that wasn't in it oh okay that all makes sense now now i feel like an idiot great good good i'm glad yeah. <laughs> uh but so, and so you know you get this beautiful italian thing and so just like I just want to come back to this. So there's all this attention to detail and it sets the atmosphere and, and the period. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't like that. You didn't like this wedding. I think it accomplished its goal. And I think it was well done. I think I may have like a personal distaste for, uh, the sort of garishness of, of, you know, particularly uh, weddings. Uh, uh, I think I, th- I think I know what you're that sort of like very Baroque and yeah. uh, heavily ritualized kind of Catholic tradition. Yeah, that goes on. It, it, it bothers me. Um, I don't know why. It Wasn't just, your wedding like that? Well, we had a the ceremony was a was a was a mass, but I don't think the reception was. Well, no, it wasn't like that. But I mean, yeah. it was very Catholic. Well, it was like, yeah, we got married in a Catholic church. You can't get more Catholic than that. Yeah, and it was disgusting. No, whatever. It was a lovely ceremony. Um, well, anyway, and so, so clearly, you know, this is this is a lot of Italians. But I'm going to say that your prediction that it's, you know, your kind of Sopranos era Italians, you know, th- because Ian, this is this is the '40s. Okay, this is a time right. when people wore suits to baseball games, and murder right. was classy. You know? Yeah, no, I wish, I, first of all, I wish people still wore suits every day like this. Um, 
Secondly, I'm I'm giving it a pass because it can't be a stereotype at this point in history because it, it invented the stereotype. Okay. Well, anyway, so we, we meet the family. We meet Sonny. He's the he's currently the heir to the Don. He's a bit of a hothead. We meet uh, Michael, who shows up, and he's he's the one who stayed clean. He's you know he's a Marine. He's a war hero. He's not part of the family business. We meet Robert Duvall's Tom Hagen, the adopted son, who's the consigliere, which is like the advisor figure. We meet uh, weak ass drunk Fredo, mm-hmm. and then we meet that big dumbass lummox Luca Brasi. <laughs> Right. Uh, he's fun. Yeah, no. <laughs> I loved him, actually. I hope your first child is it's a, a masculine. <laughs> what is that? He- Why do you say it like that? <laughs> well, because he's a little slow. Yeah, no, I know. Cut him some slack, you jerk. <laughs> mm. I, was, I, I was sad to see him go. I know it's it's a big shock because he's built up to be, you know, the heavy hitter for the family. And yet he's the first to go down. Right. Yeah. Now, one of your predictions with that was that there would be a very strong relationship with the wife and he'd listen to her. Yeah, you know, and seek happen. counsel with her. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And I think, too, that goes to more about the female roles not being, you know, very rich in this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, uh, you know, culturally that's accurate. Maybe it is. But I find, found it kind of off-putting. Well, you know, we have our modern eyes, right? Yeah, our modern sensibilities that w- women are equal to men. But hey, you know, then Johnny Fontaine arrives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that kind of added to it. Like now- that the hysteria <laughs> did you um did, did you cotton on to what his deal was yeah that he he owed his career to to Vito. yeah um but what um so i guess this is sort of like a meta thing but um the idea there is that johnny fontaine is an analog for frank sinatra okay and so so and you know whether or not this is actually true or not i don't know but um there were rumors that Sinatra had ties to organized crime and that um, they were responsible for helping him get certain roles, including his breakout role from here to eternity. Oh, I and didn't so that, know that. That's what they're discussing. You know, they're basically like doing a, a parallel to that with this Got whole it. thing with him. Um, Is he in the book too? Johnny Fontaine? Yeah. 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 Um, and so this is, uh, so the Godfather agrees to help him with his career because, you know, they're close. Um, and this is where we get that story and the quote where, you know, right. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Right. So that line pops up, although there's no line in do it or die. Did I say that? You did say that. Why would I say that? I don't know. It's a terrible prediction. <laughs> but I do like, too, that like after Michael tells the story to Kay and uh, she's like looking at him horrified about the story, Michael just goes like, that's a true story. Yeah, yeah, it's very matter of fact. Yeah, true story. Yeah. So, um, so long story short, Johnny Fontaine needs a part in this movie, so they send Tom Hagen out to Tinseltown to talk to the director or the producer or whatever. Guy's kind of a prick. He's a real prick. Although he does get a lot nicer once he finds out who Tom represents, doesn't he? Well, not at the end. 
No, not at the end. And, you know, there's this uh, cool thing I noticed there, and this repeats a couple of times through the film that they do this. Um, it's almost like a theatrical thing where um, the producer, uh, Waltz, Waltz, he gets angry and he starts like screaming and yelling at Tom and being like, I'm going to fucking like run him out of town. I'm going to ruin it. And he's just like, you know, popping off and shouting. Whereas Tom does nothing. He's right. completely silent. He's practically still. And it's, it's sort of this, like it's the physicality of power, yes. you know, where like the stillness just radiates so much more power than the over emotional explosive behavior of the other people. Michael, uh, Al Michael Pacino, does that too. Yeah. So well, yes. Yeah. Towards the end. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's fantastic. That's one of my notes actually is the the family in general are very subdued and you know they could be they're talking about murdering people like while sitting and like speaking very softly a very matter gen- of fact very gently that is that is something I noticed as well yeah but anyway so then we get uh, this ultra famous scene poor horsey poor horsey yeah but uh, it was a prediction you made that came true do you think um, do you think if um you hadn't known you might have uh suspected at first that maybe he the the producer himself had been injured cuz like when he wakes up there's all the blood and you don't yeah. know where it's from at first? Yeah, no, I probably would have figured it was him like he got his but I don't know how he would have slept through it at the same time. I don't know. I don't know, maybe he's drunk. Yeah. But, but um well, you know, the mafia guys are good at their job. It's true, yeah. So that that little bit of business is taken care of. Johnny's got his parts. So now we start getting into like the real shit, and we get Salazzo, the the drug dealer. Yeah. So I don't know if this was one of my predictions or not, but I think I, I think that I thought that there would be no good guy. You did say that, yes. Yeah. So how do you think was... that worked out? No, I mean, good is is a relative term but mm-hmm. i like that's when i was like oh Vito is the good guy because he thinks drugs are a dirty business yeah <laughs> i don't know why i thought that well i mean good in this movie is a very interesting question isn't it cuz i mean it's with michael too because he is our protagonist but his arc in the story does not make him a good guy it's the reverse it's about michael's fall from grace from being the one who's outside the business to being one who's been corrupted and is now a mafia don and and yet you know to a certain extent we're kind of rooting for that yeah we are because we get caught up in the same sort of you know the theme of revenge and protecting Um, you know he does it with sort of the best of intentions is the road to hell being paved with good intentions where all he really wants to do is protect his family and in order to do that he has to sacrifice his innocence yes Uh, but you know is that something that we want to celebrate Uh, i mean there's there's that base level adolescent thing where like it's so cool how badass he is by the end and i mean i'm still subject to that i think it's great but you know if you think about it like it's it's a tragedy Right. It is. He he was, you know, he was untouched by this type of life. And now he has no choice but to sort of because you can't get out once you're in. 
No, and, and well, and especially him because he's the one who's actually running it. Right. They yeah. need him. And I think, you know, I, and I was going to save this discussion for later, but but just because we've started it now already. Um, I think one of the most beautiful scenes in this movie comes later when he's speaking to uh, Marlon Brando. And, you know, they're talking business. And then there's just a moment where Vito reflects. He's like, I never wanted this for you. Yeah. You know, you were the you were my hope for the future that like we would have a future that wasn't tied to all of this. Right. I don't I don't know if that plays into the sort of like the uh, immigrant. Um, oh, it absolutely where, does. Yeah. So like where, you know, he had to get ahead. He had to do things he wasn't proud of. But uh, Michael was meant to, you know, have success legitimately. Right. He made the sacrifice to get into this dirty business in order to create an opportunity for his children to have a chance not to need to do something like that. Right. Yeah. It is, it is very sad. And it's a beautifully played moment too. Yes, I Um, did. I thought that was great. Uh, The after, after, after he, um, after Vito, you know, retired, uh, I really was uh, kind of rooting for him. He was kind of the most sympathetic character. I thought, well, you know, you can't help but like him. Yeah. But so, they decide not to work with Salazzo because uh, it's a dirty business, but uh, they do want to look into him. So they send Lu- Luca Brasi to kind of check him out, and Luca Brasi gets murdered. Yes, in a pretty horrific uh, yeah. way, I might add. Um, and There's the, a name for that. Uh, well, the choking is called a a garrot. Yeah, he gets garroted. garroted. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, that's the word I was thinking of. Yeah. But also, I mean, I, I think the thing with like pinning the hand with the knife is pretty yeah. crazy. That was, too. that was like classic uh, gangster murder. Pin sure. the hand with a knife and then, uh, well, what is it? Yeah. Garot, uh, garot, garot him with your watch. Yeah. Or was it a watch? I thought they just had a wire. I don't know. I assume uh- it's a watch. I think the watch is sort of more of a like an assassin like sneak the wire in thing, but you can just do it with a wire. Uh, but it also has the part where um, Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. They send the message with the fish. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did I think? Yeah. Did I make a prediction about that? Not that I recall. Oh, I feel like I did. Well, um, here's the th- so I looked this up. I was like, did that originate with this movie? And what I found was that um, so the phrase uh, so and so is sleeps with the fishes. It doesn't originate with this movie, but uh, it this movie did popularize it. So it brought it to like to the attention of broader culture. Okay, it was a Sicilian. Apparently, of? yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so it got more well known after this came out. And so not only does Luca Brasi get get whacked, but the Don himself gets hit. Yes. Get shot five All he wanted to do times. was buy some... He just wanted to buy some fruit. I know, he just wanted some oranges. And goddamn, Fredo sucks. Mm. He's such an incompetent mm. asshole. Um, yeah. Did you think he was dead? Yes. And, yeah, uh, so were you surprised? Did, did you think this was like a, a sudden shock thing? Where it's like, oh, holy shit, they killed him. Yeah, I was... Well, yeah, no, I was. I was like... You know, everyone makes such a big deal about, you know, this is Brando's finest character, blah, 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 blah. He's dead, like, a half an hour into the movie. Yeah, it was uh, same for me the first time I saw yeah. this. I was so shocked. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he, he gets shot five fucking times and still lives, so what a badass. Right. Um, but, anyway, it's it's war now. 
So Sonny's in charge. And I like, too, that Salazzo thinks he can reason with him. Right, yeah. S- that, why would like, you think that? I, I don't know. He's Well, he was like, Sonny seemed like he liked the drugs idea. Maybe you can, uh, you know, tell him it was just business. Talk some sense into him. I'm like, did you, do you know this guy? <laughs> you just shot my father. I know. Like, he is not going to keep it together. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um... They decide uh, to to take care of Polly, who called in sick. Um, there's a pretty well known line here too, which is Clemenza's line after they shoot him, which is a uh, "Leave the gun, take the cannoli." Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and uh, the thing about that too is that so you may have noticed that this movie has a strong family theme. Yes, and what I'd never noticed about that line that i did after reading about themes for this movie is that it links back to the fact that his wife asked him to bring cannolis home yeah no i remember that yeah so it just goes to show that like even in the midst of this like gangland murder he's taking place with he's thinking about like oh i gotta run errands for my wife (laughs) right yeah yeah um and then later on too you also get clemenza cooking to making pasta sauce so you talked about how you thought there would be a strong food focus in this movie yeah what, how do you feel is. like that there prediction panned is. out i think it i think i was right yeah because I, I don't think there's a lot there's that scene and some food talk and i mean the food is like present but there's, like there's not, food in every scene yeah but it's not like goodfellas where like it's you know the, the goodfellas like fetishizes italian cuisine you know whereas this it's just sort of like it's there and it looks good and it's like, you know, clearly part of the whole ambiance of the thing. But I just I don't think it's as like, uh, you know, much of a focus as in some later films. I mean, they're not shoving it down your throat, <laughs> uh, but but they're shoving it down their own throat. <laughs> yeah. Well, OK. I uh, just thought there was a, a moment to bring that up. But um. Next up, we get one of my favorite scenes, which is uh, Michael goes to the hospital to visit his father. That was great. It that is. was sort of like the uh, the Rubicon moment. You know, okay. I think this is definitely a scene where Michael, he sh- you know, it's the first time where he kind of like, he shows some cleverness and he sh- certainly shows some stones in what he does, backing those guys down, you know, with a bluff, basically. Right. So, uh, j- just to explain, so the plot here is that Michael goes to visit his father at, at the hospital. Dirty cops have made the guards go away, so the dawn is unguarded, and Michael knows assassins are coming to kill him. So he and um, a well-wisher stand out and pretend to be the guards in order to scare away the assassins. Yeah. Um, I think, though, that his actual Rubicon moment comes a little bit later, and that's where he comes up with the plan so uh, we'll double back to that in one second but um this is where we meet the dirty cop right captain mccluskey um what was his name captain mccluskey mccluskey of course right so he uh he busts michael in the face and uh is clearly an asshole this this is now to your other prediction where there would be a law enforcement element is this what no. you were expecting when you said no. that? No, not at all. I thought maybe there'd be like a pseudo protagonist law law enforcement character. Like a mole, maybe? 
Maybe, or, you know... Someone trying it, to bring them down? Yeah, it would be about trying to arrest them. Yeah, yeah. Right? So... Like in the midst of, you know, their activities, but... So I was wrong about that. Yeah. Also, we can look to this scene for where you thought that there would be a lot of the threatening of families for leverage. Mm-hmm. There's some of that, but to a certain extent... It feels like the targeting of family, especially family that's not involved, is considered a little taboo in this movie. Yeah, and like they mentioned that there was, a, well, I think we're we're almost there uh, when Michael is the one that sets up the meeting. Right. So, um, yeah. so after this and he's, scene, he's a civilian. They said, yeah, my, they know, yeah, they won't hurt him. They know he's a civilian. But um, after the scene where he protects Vito, they start talking about how Salazzo wants a meeting with Michael and you know Salazzo thinks he'll be safe because he's guarded by this Captain McCluskey who is dirty he's on Salazzo's payroll and nobody has ever dared to kill a cop before especially a captain right right and so this this scene here I think is actually Michael's Rubicon moment because you know in the earlier scene he did what he had to do to keep his father from getting killed but this scene is where he actually like really steps up and, you know, he comes up with a plan. He's in the game now. Right. You know, yeah. you know, he shows that steel. You know, he, he in this scene, he really shows that he's his father's son. Right. He, he comes right. up with this plan where he's going to he's going to go and he's going to kill these guys. Right. And he's willing to kill a cop. He, you know, everybody else is like, well, we just we can't do it. We can't kill a cop. And Michael is the one who says, where is it written that we can't kill a cop? Right. Let's kill a fucking cop. Th- Especially this cop who deserves it. Right. Well, that's the clever bit, right? Where he's like, yeah. we can use our newspaper contacts to spread around that he's dirty, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean. He's very shrewd. So they come up with this plan where Michael is going to go to the meeting with them and they are going to hide a gun at the spot. And uh, it works out and he kills both those fuckers. Yeah. What do you think of this scene? I was afraid he was going to get, because I didn't know who... I didn't know if he got killed himself trying to do it mm-hmm. or not. You know, I I mean, I thought it was awesome. I wanted those two guys to die. Yeah, and it is very intense. You know, there's also yeah. the moment where, like, maybe, like, he can't find the gun for a second. Right, yeah. They they were very good at creating suspense. Yeah. Um, did you notice, too, um, the train over the sound, the, the, like, screeching of the train? I don't know. As Michael is preparing to actually act, there's a train nearby, I guess, and you hear the screeching of its wheels as it takes a turn or brakes or something. Oh, and, right, and that's that kind of triggers his his him triggering. <laughs> yes, but but I mean, also, it's just sort of like it's the same thing as sort of like a boiling kettle. It's just it's just that like that screeching moment yeah. where like you feel like that's happening internally too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, he, he does it. He kills these guys, and he gets away. And, I mean, if the earlier moment when he came up with the plan wasn't his Rubicon, this certainly is. Right. Yeah. So everything goes... They've killed the cop, and they gotta lay low for a while. So everything goes on lockdown, and Michael has to get out of the country for a while. So he goes to Sicily. It's mm-hmm. so pretty. I mean, yes, cinematography here. Yeah. Do you think it was worth the money? Yes. It wouldn't that would have taken from the movie not being there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so important. Um and we meet Apollonia. 
Oh man, she was so pretty. Yeah, but Ian, Sicilian women are more dangerous than shotguns. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she was. Uh, that was a shame how that worked out. <laughs> it is, but um, what you know, again, going to Michael's rising cleverness. Um, so they accidentally talk to Apollonia's father about how hot she is, right? And he gets mad, but then Michael handles that situation slick as a motherfucker. Exactly. He, uh, I don't know how he does that. What? Just how he, uh, how he talks him down? Yeah, he, he, he apologized, uh, you know, without groveling. Yeah. And and he gave him some information that like compromised him to, to show that he's genuine. Yeah. To show, to like, try to earn trust. Yeah. And then I goes right into marrying her. Right. Um, I, mean, I guess that was a the times then I don't know. Yeah, and well, also it's all about showing respect, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I and that was one of the other things is like, like to you know meet her and spend time with her under the family's supervision. Such a good, so smart, Michael. Well, he's he is Italian, right? Smart. So he knows he knows enough yeah. to know what they're going to want to hear, right? So he's able to you know he's able to play into that. And what did you think of their date? It's so formal. Yeah, it was, I don't know, I thought it was very awkward. Sure, but it's, I mean, I, I, I kind of enjoyed seeing all that. You know, like, he meets everybody, and he, like, gives, he presents her with a gift, and, like, they have dinner, and they're not even sitting next to each other. They're across this huge table, you know? I couldn't tell if she liked him or not. It's hard to say at first, but I think the first sign you get that she likes him is that he gives her the necklace, and then the next time you see it she's wearing the necklace very prominently and that's her you know she can't be too forward but you know in showing off that i've got the necklace on is her like showing some approval yeah but it is hard to tell right when you're so separated and like observed right and it it seems sort of like this is happening to her and she doesn't really have a choice about it True. I mean, um, I guess she could always say that she's not into him and like, you know, they're not going to force right. the issue. It's But it's just it's like a for, very formal courtship. I guess so. Yeah. It didn't seem like she had the option to refuse. <laughs> I don't think it's that it's quite that in this particular scene. Not in like making you an offer you can't refuse sort of way. I, I do like their date, too, that where it shows, like, they go walking, and then a, a little ways back, all the women in town are following, and then a little right. ways back more, his bodyguards are following them. Right, they have a whole entourage just to go for a walk. Exactly, it's hilarious. So, anyway, that that all goes down. Seems like it's going well. Right. We cut back to America. Sonny goes to visit Connie, and, uh, dude, she's got a black eye not cool no i would not want to fuck with sunny corleone's sister no why would you like you know like why would you do that because you're a fucking idiot i don't know i mean well we know why he does it the second time but this first time it's just like why are you so stupid right i do there's a small moment that i really like in this scene though it's just um james khan's acting when he first sees the black eye he has that moment where he just he like bites his fist right and it just like i don't know something about that like 
in that scene and the way his response there, I just think it's a very nice little bit of acting, like just showing that like barely contained volcanic rage. Right. You know, because not only does he care about his sister, but he feels personally sort of disrespected, uh, disrespected. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, we talk about how there's the, the kind of traditionalist view of women and to a certain extent it's repressive, but it also has the element of women are not to be harmed. Right. Yeah. And that's nice, I guess. Yeah. Although, you know, there, there's a bit of a patriarchal element of that too, but uh, whatever. He goes and he beats the beats the crap out of uh, Carlo, and we actually get a second fist bite in that scene. <laughs> the, for, the the fight choreography in this scene, I also I do think it leaves a little bit to be desired. Well, I kept on thinking it was going to stop, and then it just kept on getting weirder and weirder. Weirder, like the first of all, like the lid of those trash cans isn't really that heavy, so I don't think it's really hurting him all that much. Eh, I guess. But I don't know. I just like he just like grabs whatever's around him and starts hitting him with it. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to do. I guess so. But I, I just you know it's it's a little old school in the choreography, so it's very clearly not actually making contact in a lot of moments. Right. Yeah. But um, it it sets up what'll happen later. But in between though, Mikey gets married. Mm-hmm. And poor Kay is just, poor Diane Keaton is back in America being like, hey, can I send Mike a letter? No. I, I, I liked that wedding a lot more than the first wedding. Oh, the, the one in Italy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's cool. I love the shot where it's from a distance and you see the entire town making that procession through the, through the street from and, afar. And the band is playing the theme. Yeah, that's a the the sort of love theme too is also pretty well known. You didn't recognize that one either, huh? No. Mm. All right. We then though get the juxtaposition of Michael having this lovely wedding to Apollonia, with his poor sister getting, while pregnant, beaten by her husband. Yeah, that was really uncomfortable to watch. It is right, and like it just like the smashing of all of the. Uh, you know crockery and everything it just like yeah. it's uh sound wise it's very like chaotic and it like kind of jangles your nerves i think it it definitely was not in it it was i think that was the worst part of the movie for me worst as in bad or worst as just in like hard well i don't think it was particularly well done but it was also hard okay there is a good cut in there though um which is in that scene when they cut there's a kind of a, a an auditory match cut where they go from her scream to the baby's scream when the phone call reporting yeah. it gets made. I thought it was pretty clever. Yeah. yeah, I think we skipped past it already, but when they were in the town in Sicily, yeah, did we? You, we didn't talk about how he, uh, Michael asks where all the men are, and you know his bodyguard says. You know, they're all dead from vendettas. Oh, we did skip past that. Yes. I mean, I don't think we need to say more than that. I think it kind of speaks for itself. But I, I thought that was a nice touch. It is. You you are correct. Yeah. But uh, so Sonny gets the call and finds out what happened to his sister. And he is not happy. 
Now, did your when you watched this, how did you watch this? I watched this on my phone. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, I mean like digital or a DVD. I watched it on my What do you mean di- DVD? I watched it on my phone. Oh, you Can't actually it... watched it on your phone. Yeah. You watched The Godfather on your phone. Well, it was the here, let me see. It is the um I mean it was it was it was a remastered version. Yeah, no, I know. I just I I you know, like you know, I gave you The Godfather, you know, like this is a movie that's and is considered one of the best films ever made and, you know, I gave you the shot at it and then you watched it on a phone. I don't what does it matter? Well, I think it's a little disrespectful to the source material, Ian. Anyway, no, I, I, I I still appreciated it. I don't I didn't I don't okay. think it took anything away. All right. Well, uh, what I was getting at is that um, when I first watched this movie, it had an intermission, and this is where the intermission was. Did your version have an intermission, or did you just watch it straight through? It did through? not. I watched it straight through. Okay. Well, anyway, when I first watched this, it was on a two VHS set, and the intermission comes here, and then it comes back with this famous scene coming up, which is Sonny gets whacked at a toll booth. Right. And it's fucking brutal. It is. Did you see how many bullets? I did not. Did you count? No, I'm just saying, like, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, apparently, this scene was inspired by uh, the ending of Bonnie and Clyde. That's, I mean, yes, that was, I I thought the same thing. I thought that was pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, it's just so hardcore. Sonny does, though, live up to his father in this last moment that, like, it takes him a long time to die. Right. Yeah. He takes he takes a machine gun, several machine guns, and still manages to like get out of that car and stagger forward a bit. Right. He but got killed. He got like shot sixty times or something. 60, he got super times. killed. Yeah. He got killed so hard his soul got killed. Right. As it was like rising out of his body. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. Um, and he gets killed so hard. In fact, that um. Uh, Don Corleone is forced to call in the favor from the beginning of the film, which was uh, a a you know an undertaker uh, asks him to do a favor for him, and in response, uh, the Don says, "You know, I may call on you one day, and maybe I never will, but someday I may call on you with a favor of my own that I need." And as it turns out, it gets called on here, which is that the you know he needs this person to make. Sonny's corpse presentable for a funeral just because it's so shot up. Yeah. That yeah. was actually really heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. Just his, see yeah. like Brand, just seeing uh how how hurt Vito was. Yeah, Brando's really effective in this movie. I mean, there's a reason why he this performance has the reputation that it does. Yeah. And then of course immediately after this, it's not just Sonny because Apollonia gets got too. That uh, I did not see coming. No? Well, once, I mean, I saw it coming when Michael saw it coming, but I mm. didn't see it coming in the in the movie overall. Yeah, oh, that poor girl. So who did that? Like, I thought they weren't hurting women. They didn't intend to kill her. So 
the uh, one of the bodyguards got turned. So Michael says to the bodyguard, "Get the car. I'm gonna drive right." Oh, home. Right, and he right, he right. actually says, "Like, is Apollonia coming with you?" And he says, "No." And so that's the sign. And then when the guard sees that she's in the car and not him, he turns and starts to run. And that's when Michael puts two and two together, but it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, it was an collateral damage. But uh, so the the casualties are starting to mount here. So. Don Corleone is now recovered sufficiently that he asks for a sit down of all the five families. Although yeah. before that too, we get a pretty nice scene between him and Robert Duvall where um, uh, Duvall is forced to inform him of what happened to Sonny. Right. It yeah, was, that was, I love the exchange they have too. It's like, um, you know, Duvall's like, I have to tell you something. And he's like, but you needed a drink first. Well, now you've had your drink. Just, yeah yeah it's it's tough but so the five families sit down they all agree that drugs are a dirty business but you know what maybe if they invest they can control it you know make sure it doesn't wind up going to the wrong people no kids they'll never sell it to any kids now the blacks they can do what they want because they're all racist but no kids yeah. no innocent right. people yeah Real, real nice, real nice, but yeah, not a good look. Well, you know, so uh, it's at this meeting that Vito, genius that he is, he figures out that even though Titalia so far has been the guy who's most behind everything on the surface, it turns out it's this dude Bartzini who's been behind everything. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't get that until, until Vito said it later on. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how he would figure it out. Like he, you know, we're we're not him. So, you know, I think it takes him saying that for us to be able to figure it out ourselves too. But in hindsight, I think he should have because he, on his insistence, like, you know, he must allow us all to draw water from the well. You think? Yeah, I think we should. I think we should have known. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, I guess maybe you're right. But just to me, it was never clear totally like who like what the power levels were until they were spoken right you know like the the idea that Tatalia is actually kind of a weaker family whereas uh Barzini is like the real power I, I didn't quite get it without having it explained but I guess you know maybe it's possible so meanwhile Michael's home and uh his uh his Italian wife is dead so he goes straight back to Kay <sighs> Yeah, and she takes him back. <laughs> I know, but also, like, what an asshole. Yeah. Doesn't even mention that he was married. Just kind of like, I need you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes with him. Well, so he says that he's, you know, part of the business now, but he assures her. That it's all going to be legit in five years. Yeah, he, he, it's, it's a total lie. It is a total lie. But, uh, and, but you know, I mean, when she knew him, he was clean, Michael. Right? Yeah. So maybe yeah. she's just hoping that that's still who she's dealing with. Yeah, that's probably, that probably has something to do with it. Yeah. She trusts him still. Yeah. But, um, but you know, in the next scene, when Michael's actually 
you know, with the family, it is very clear that he's running shit now. So Michael heads on out to Vegas to see what's up with Fredo. The contrast between these two is pretty intense. You've got Fredo's clearly taken to the West a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. He likes it out there. But like contrast that with how Michael looks now. He just looks dangerous. Right. It's the same like steely, silent, subdued. Still. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't react oh. to things. Yeah. Right. Keeps it cool. Right. You, you know, uh, like we said with the screen test, they felt like he just didn't look right for the part. Like he's too short. He's too kind of like, you know, young. He doesn't he doesn't come across as menacing. And yet you see the scene and just like he just wears power so well. Right. And, and so now now that he's here, now it's Michael's turn to start making people offers they can't refuse. Yeah, that was um He's gone full circle now. Yes, he has. And the plan is that the Corleones are going to abandon New York City and they're going to move out west and start getting into the casino business. They try to buy out this guy, Mo Green, but he's not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And we get a repeat of that whole thing where like he's screaming and yelling, whereas Michael is, you know. Yeah, it was the same thing as in the scene with the Waltz or whatever his name was. Right. Right. Although you notice, too, that like Fredo is more like the the weak ones where like, you know, he's, you know, dressed up colorful, like some kind of clown. And he's like going this way and that. And he's talking too much, you know, like he, he's weakness. Right. Yeah, no, no, that's it's a good point is he's like the physical and sort of behavioral opposite. Right. Of Michael. Yeah. And it is reflective of the strength and power that each character has or doesn't have respectively. I mean, think too about like, which of these scares you more where you've got Mo green, like ranting and raving and yelling, like you don't buy me out. I buy you out. I'll do this and that. Like I had to straighten your brother out when he was doing this. And like, yeah, I got Barzini behind me. And then all Michael, Michael sitting and still, he just whispers. He says, you straightened my brother out. Yeah, that that's real power. Yeah, and it's it's scary. And you know, it, there's that family bit too. There, where the the end of that scene too is Michael admonishing Fredo that you should never take sides with someone against the family. Yeah, that was. Um, I I don't know. Is there any uh, any situation where a fam other than Carlo beating up Connie? There's no interfamily conflict in this movie, is there? Um Well, I mean, by the end Connie is angry at Michael. Um Oh right, yeah, I guess. But no, I, no, not not in this movie. There's no no thing like that where, you know, something like that happens. I I don't think. So yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's just uh like talking about the like sort of the seriousness with which they take family bonds and it also speaks to to like how unfit fredo is for all this that he has to be reminded of that yeah no i i think fredo is like a throwaway character well he's weak he is not a throwaway character i don't think he's all that important in in the overall plot really is he maybe not in this one 
you know, is that a uh, spoiler. No. So we go back east and we get that one last scene between Michael and his father with uh, Al Pacino and Marlon Brando. And this is the beautiful scene that I was talking about. I think this might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. Vito gives him one last piece of advice, which is that someone is going to offer a meeting and that meeting is going to be a trap. Whoever makes the offer is a traitor. Yeah. So very critical bit of advice there. But then you also get what we talked about before where, you know, he talks about his life where, you know, he understands what he did and he has no regrets. You know, he talks about it. There's a good line in here, too. He's like, and I refuse to be a fool. Strong, strong stuff. But, you know, he gets into how he never wanted this for Michael. And yet here he is advising him on how to be, you know, a mafia don. Yeah. It's it's heartbreaking. It is. And then the um the scene in the tomato garden is next. Right. Where um yeah. you know, he uh Vito is enjoying an afternoon with one of his grandkids and he finally succumbs to a heart attack and passes away. Yeah. That's yeah. sad. It is sad. How about that funeral procession though? Well, you tell me. Talk talk about it. Jesus Christ. That's a lot of flowers. <laughs> you don't think he earned it? No, I'm sure he did, but it's like this that excess. Well, Ian, this is the funeral for Don Corleone, okay? They're they're going to pull out all the stops. They certainly did. The king is dead, Ian. Yeah, that's what it looked like. Even the other rival families are there. I mean, I guess they yeah. came to the wedding too, but yeah, it's it's a big fucking deal. But it's at this wedding that uh, Tessio comes up and mm-hmm. makes the offer. He's going to host a meeting. It'll be on his turf. Safe. Right. I So I don't remember. Was Tessio the one that wanted to break off and start his own family with Clemenza or Clemenza, whatever his name was? Sort of. I, I think it was more that... Um, Michael said he was taking the family west and he was going to leave Tessio and Clemenza back east to kind of like hold on to what was left back there. And the two of, you know, there was a lot of discussion on like how viable that was going to be. But they were going to basically be the lieutenants left back east to run things while the majority of the family went west. I see. But Tessio and Clemenza, they are sort of like the two main lieutenants with... Uh, with Vito, who came up with him originally, so th- they're they're kind of like the you know the one A one B main number two guys, and they they talk too about how um you know Tom thought it would be Clemenza to betray them, but Michael points out that uh, the betrayal is actually the smart move, and Tessio was always the smart one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good line. Yeah, but so then we get one of the most famous scenes in cinema history which is the baptism right and intercut with uh with this is intercut with michael taking out the head of every other family yep just a mass hit on all of their enemies all at once what did you think of this scene i thought that was awesome that was the best part of the movie yeah yeah this you know clemenza running up the stairs with a package the baptism then you know someone in a car driving you know like 
they're all taking place at the same same time and you just go back and forth between the three or four or however many it was wow that was great it's yeah it is amazing too and also intercut with uh what it is that Michael is actually doing, which is, you know, this holy act, right? You know, it's right. a ritual in a church, and yet... Do you reject Satan? I do. saying all this. Yeah, yeah. and yet behind yeah. the scenes, all of this is going down. And also just, like, as a piece of filmmaking, it's just so incredible. Yeah, no, it was, that, was, that was a good part. Even Mo Green gets got, gets shot through the eye. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a cool shot, too, during a, during filmmaking-wise. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying i was saying during a massage too oh yeah i know it, it kind of makes you antsy about getting a massage now right no you're so vulnerable um that's okay i kind of wanted him to die anyways no that's true no one gets to talk to michael that way and get away with it yeah apparently you straighten my brother out <laughs> um so anyway everybody's dead but Amen. we got we got we got one last piece of uh, business to take care of one more loose end and that's carlo mm-hmm. carlo that fucking snake he uh, so the idea here is that um carlo deliberately beat up connie because they you know because of sonny's reputation because of what happened last time they knew he would fly off the handle and race off to try and get him so they figured they can ambush him on the way right yes and so Michael gets him to admit it, assures him that it's all going to be okay, and then he has that piece of shit murdered. Right. Uh, I believed him for a second. Did you really? Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, he's technically family now. That's probably off limits. I guess, and you know Connie's nope. going to be upset about it. Yeah. I don't want to deal with her pissing and moaning all the time about murdering her husband, so... I mean, I guess he kind of did the right thing. No, you can't let that go. Right. I mean, and he's not family. Right. And he wasn't even a good person. He beat up his sister. Yeah. I mean, Michael is not Sonny, but Michael is not going to let that slide. Yeah. No. Yeah. That was great. And then the next scene is the one where, uh, is the next scene is the last scene, right? Right. And it starts with him having to deal with Connie pissing and moaning about it. But um, then it goes into like the actual like final moments. Although I do want to just back with the scene with Carlo. I feel like this scene, like Michael has been throughout the whole second half of the movie has been his becoming, you know, like he, he, he is like flowering into the new Don Corleone. And it's in this scene where he sits down with Carlo that he actually like is now become. He is wearing the power and, you know, he, you know, he, like getting, you know, having his people get him to drink and everything, like everything's just a gesture or a, a nod, you know, like he is fully flowered into what he is now in this scene, finally, I think. Yeah. And then shortly, like right afterwards, they're kissing his ring and stuff. Right. So, yeah. So here we are in the famous last scene where, um, you know, he's, you know, Connie comes in and tells Kay that, you know, Michael is what he is. And, you know, Kay wants to hear it. F- from him and you know at first he resists he said, don't ask me about my business Kay. don't ever ask right. me about my business because you know that's the misogyny again i guess and then it's i mean though there's sort of a a logic behind it of like not wanting to bring too many people into knowledge of what's going on 
so so she could have the die ability yeah but but i mean yes there is also the element of he's you know just telling this woman don't worry your pretty little head about it right you know but uh and you know once again he lies to her face and then it's you know he's truly a bad person now yes he, he now he is he's fully fallen and we get that uh, what i think is maybe one of the best endings to a movie of all time which is this last moment where she is looking into the room from outside the music that incredible music swells the other lieutenants start to greet him and offer their respects to the new Don Corleone. And the one guy comes forward and he closes the door. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, how'd you feel about that last scene, last shot, like moment there? I thought it was pretty good. It, he, he literally closed the door on who Michael used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And it, it symbolically too creates this barrier between him and his wife. His wife, his who he was. Yeah, the normal life he was trying to have at the beginning of the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, have, have you seen, you know, th- this is a, an often homaged moment to the, the closing of the door. I feel like that's a that's a bit that I see in lots of things. I can't think of any right now, though. Right. Okay. Well, but anyway, so that's the end. As a final check on your predictions, we talked a little bit about whether or not we feel like there's truly a good guy in the movie. You talked about how you thought maybe there'd be an emotionally unstable guy. who That was Sonny, right? I guess. I mean, I feel like what you were thinking about was someone... I mean, Sonny was emotionally unstable because of his anger, but I, yeah. I sort of felt like your prediction was more someone who's unstable because they can't hack it. I was thinking more Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess Sonny falls into that a little bit. Yeah, I think Sonny's the closest one there. His inability to control himself is what does him in, in the end, certainly. Yeah. 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 And then the last prediction you made that we haven't really touched on yet is that you felt like you would not like the movie. You said you didn't think you'd have any empathy with anybody or investment in the plot you felt like there would not be anyone who is emotionally vulnerable there'd be no depth of the character and this would play out more like a war film where the drama comes from the action and not from character lastly ian you said that this film (laughs) would pale in comparison to peaky blinders (laughs) so i i want to i want to come back now ian and ask you how do you feel like that prediction worked out um it's not entirely wrong okay tell us more it's a good movie mm-hmm. um did you like it i liked it did you invest in anyone's character no oh, not g- really come on man no i didn't really i mean i was interested in seeing what was gonna happen but the person i sympathize the most with was probably Vito. uh and well, he's not sure. really in it for for most of the movie. I mean, he's a pretty important... He's certainly in it as much as Hannibal Lecter, who you felt like was a great character when we did Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I actually made a note that I only do this podcast when it's, like, performances that are well-known, but the characters aren't actually on screen. Huh. <laughs> nice observation. But, um, I, I mean, you know, tell me more. Like, what do, do you feel like there like, was you know good character and depth and you know there, there emotional were, involvement 
There, I mean, other than from the women characters, yes. And I thought it was, I thought the um, sort of the political uh, maneuvering between the three families was was Five. good and intriguing. And I thought, you know, it was very good at creating suspense and wondering what was going to happen next. But like, I didn't care when Sonny died. I thought it was cool that it happened. I mean, not cool. Like I was rooting for it. Like I was surprised when it happened. But I wasn't like, I didn't feel for him. You didn't feel for Michael as he sells his soul or Vito no. when he's talking about, you know, his sadness at how things turned out? No, not really. You Maybe I'm a sociopath? Me. You sicken me, Ian. All right. Well, let's uh, start talking a little bit about how this movie did. So... Uh, because Francis Ford Coppola fought so hard, this movie ultimately had a budget of $6.5 million. It made somewhere in the area of $250 million. So that's a... Um, a hefty return is, on investment? Yeah. What is that? 400%? No. It's more than that. 4,000%? It's, it's a lot of percent. And keep in mind, too, that this is in 1970s dollars, so I'm pretty sure that translates into the gross national product of the United Kingdom <laughs> in modern-day money. Um, it was nominated for 11 Oscars. <laughs> Interesting here. Um, so Marlon Brando was nominated for Best Actor, and Al Pacino was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. That's interesting, because... You would think it's the reverse, right? Because the one right, has more yeah. screen time than the other. In fact, um, Al Pacino boycotted the ceremony because he felt insulted by that. Did he win? Uh, he did not win. And, and in point of fact, actually, uh, Al Pacino, James Caan, and Robert Duvall, all three of them were nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this movie, and none of them won. Who won? Um, who did win the awards for best support? Oh, Joel Gray for Cabaret. Oh, okay. I actually feel like that's a justifiable choice. He's yeah. the, the MC in Cabaret is an incredible character. Yeah, that's um, tough timing. Yeah. Um, but so uh, it wound up winning uh, best adapted screenplay, best picture, and. Marlon Brando won Best Actor. But uh, did you might not have known this, or maybe you did. Um, this is that famous instance where Brando refused the Oscar. This is where the, the Native American woman? Yeah, so he sent, uh, her name is Sashin Littlefeather, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, he sent her in his place to um, decline the Oscar uh, and in order to protest um, the depictions of Native Americans on screen and also the uh, Wounded Knee incident. And it's a pretty famous thing. Um, we don't have time to go super into it there, but uh, you know, there's images from it that are quite famous. Yeah, I've seen it. I've yeah. seen the, the clip. Yeah. Uh, only the second time that had happened up until last point. The only other time someone had turned down uh, the Oscar was George C. Scott for Patton, which here's a connection. Francis Ford Coppola wrote that movie. Huh. Yeah. Right? Why did he refuse it? I didn't look that up. But you know, if you find out, let me know. In terms of how it's thought of, so on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has a 90% critic score and a 98% audience score. And that is with over 700,000 reviews. 
So what is like, is, are there ones that are higher with that amount of reviews? With that amount of reviews, I don't know, but I have to think that this is near the top. Now, in terms, when I go into like the professional reviews, normally I try and get a spectrum of, you know, professional thought, but this time I'm just going to reference one and that's Pauline Kael's review of this movie because I think it's fantastic. So I'm going to just pull out a few excerpts from it. Uh, So this is Pauline Kael writing about The Godfather. If ever there was a great example of how the best popular movies come out of a merger of commerce and art, The Godfather is it. The movie starts from a trash novel that is generally considered gripping and compulsively readable. And she notes, though, that she found it unreadable herself. But that uh, Coppola salvaged Puzo's energy and lent the narrative dignity. Wow. And you can see that, right? Because, like, you know, it like... The book I haven't read, but from reputation, it is just sort of like kind of a trashy airport novel. Like it's just a mafia book. Right. right. Yeah, it could definitely be. It's the Da Vinci Code. Oh. Right. Oh, man, that movie was terrible. Right. But well, you know, but this movie takes that material. And I mean, I think you have to admit it does lend the material a lot of dignity, yes. right? Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. Yeah. And so this this next part is something that I found interesting because I often um, talk about pacing, especially in generational terms with movies. And so I thought this was an interesting note. When one considers the different rates at which people read, it's miraculous that films can ever solve the problem of a pace at which audiences can read a film together. A hack director solves the problem of pacing by making only a few points and making them so emphatically that the audience can hardly help getting can hardly help getting them. This is why so many movies from the studio system these days are unspeakably insulting. The tendency of a careless director is to get too fast, assuming that he's made everything clear when he hasn't and leaving the audience behind. When a film has as much novelistic detail as this one, the problem might seem to be almost insuperable. Yet, full as it is, The Godfather goes by so evenly, so we don't feel rushed or restless either. There's classic grandeur to the narrative flow. Okay, I agree with that as well. And then uh, the last point she makes that I thought was... I mean, I think both of us probably noticed this, and you can't help but notice this, but she puts it so well. In The Godfather, we see organized crime as an obscene symbolic extension of free enterprise and government policy, an extension of the worst in America, its feudal ruthlessness. Organized crime is not a rejection of Americanism. It's what we fear Americanism to be. Yeah, that's... uh a lot better than I'd be ever be able to put it. Sure. But I mean, you, you must have seen though, during the course of the film, how this movie does kind of hold up a dark mirror to the concept of the American dream and capitalism. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. 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 Now they weren't easy to find, but I did find negative reviews. I, I was going to say, okay, I, I don't think it was, I think it had flaws, but I don't, who writes a negative review of the Godfather? Stanley Kaufman, writing for The New Republic, who said about Marlon Brando, I don't see how any gifted actor could have done less than Brando does here. 
His resident power, his sheer innate force, has rarely seemed weaker. The real fault is his own, his laxness, his sloth. He has become so lazy in recent years that he's willing to take intent for deed. Corleone has no moments of outburst that Brando trademark, the leap of flame out of menacing quiet, so his dominance has to come from imagination. Okay. Al Pacino, as Brando's heir, rattles around in a part too demanding for him. And he said the movie had a surprisingly rotten score. That, um... I don't know what movie he saw. But, uh... Yeah, I don't think it's true. And then the other, uh, the other negative review I found was Robert Hatch writing for The Nation, who had a moral quandary with the movie, which is a... Okay. Flogging about for three hours in that quagmire was spiritually debilitating and a crazy waste of time. Oh my god, whatever. He said, what the film overlooks, or at least studiously refrains from showing, in Michael's metamorphosis from war hero to reptilian gang chief, is that there is a purpose behind all the plotting and killing. It is to determine which gang of Sicilians shall have the right to suck the life out of an unsuspecting public. Jesus. You said it right, Ian. What movie was he watching? (laughs) I mean, Jesus Christ. I'm I'm at a loss for words. I don't even know what to say about it. Yeah. It's just wrong. That's just just wrong. Yeah. All right. So lastly, for the legacy of this movie, it's almost like there's so much to say. Like, I can't say anything just because it's so important and so big. Its influence is everywhere. But, you know, so the movie was selected for preservation uh, in the U.S. National Film Registry as a work of culturally, historically or aesthetically significant art. Uh, It is considered the best film of all time by all kinds of places and productions and people and things. Uh, But, you know, Entertainment Weekly, Empire, Time Out Magazine, all of them have voted that. AFI, uh, they had the I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse quote as the second greatest movie quote of all time. But what I really wanted to mention is that this movie actually had a pretty big impact on gangster culture. So one, it influenced the American perception of organized crime. And to a certain extent, it did exactly what people who had moral objections to making it were afraid of in that it sort of glorified organized crime. Right. Maybe. Yeah. They're they're badasses, right? Sort of. I mean, so I, I think it wouldn't be in the way they thought about it. I think at the time they're worried about glorifying the violence, whereas I think what this actually does is it actually it's that dignity thing where it makes the mafia seem like too regal mm-hmm. you know it, it gives it too much uh too much dignitas what they're just businessmen well not just businessmen but also like you know there's so much like ritual and pageantry and importance to everything you know and that's another thing is that uh this movie actually invented a lot of that like the rituals and the the mannerisms like there are actually reports of real gangsters going to see this movie and then afterwards starting to adopt affectations from the film (laughs) yeah and so basically like this movie took gangster culture in america and kind of classed it up a little bit well that's good yeah 
And I think, too, you take something like The Sopranos more recently, I think you can see that as a deliberate reaction against this, where it sought to bring organized crime back down into, like, the gritty realism. Mm -hmm. You know, the more mundane, everyday kind of criminal activity. Strip it of all of the, you know, those, those trappings of grandeur. That all comes from The Godfather. I, I never uh, saw The Sopranos either. Oh, okay. Well, the last thing I just want to mention too, and what I think is probably the most important legacy of this movie, is that it has been parodied many, many times by The Simpsons. Uh, I think I, yeah, I, I think everything I know about the movie is from The Simpsons. That's probably true for a lot of people. So um, what, uh, just the ones that I was able to find, there's, the horse's head scene is parodied in the episode Lisa's Pony. In the Mr. Plow episode, there's a part where Bart gets hit with snowballs in a method very reminiscent of Sonny at the toll booth. Mm-hmm. There's a couple later episodes that I haven't seen, but um, there's one where James Kahn was a guest voice. And again, they referenced the Sonny in the toll booth scene. And then there's an episode in season 18 called The Mook, The Wife, The Chef, and Her Homer, where... Lisa has a relationship with Fat Tony's son that's kind of like Kay and Michael, which even ends with a repetition of that final scene, the shot of the door closing uh, in her face. Wasn't and, there... and the don't ask me about my business, Lisa, kind of thing. Wasn't there one where Milhouse like, visited his grandmother in Italy? I believe so, yes. Yeah, I, I feel like there are some references. I think they just used the score. I'm not sure. Oh, I mean, the score gets referenced and parodied everywhere. And just, yeah. And, and so, like, the parodies and homages are endless and, you know, you can't even be calculated. It's like counting the stars in the night sky. But so, anyway, so that's that's that for the legacy. And that brings us down to this question. Ian, was this movie better than Peaky Blinders? I liked Peaky Blinders better. <laughs> You make me want a wretch. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was better. Well, uh, but so, Ian, what did you think of The Godfather? Are you asking me uh, whether it was better late than never? I am. So, uh, I think I think the threshold that a movie has to reach to be to be a never is is really low. So it's it's definitely better late um thank god but but it did fall a little short short of the hype is that is that okay no no it is not okay (laughs) i I wasn't blown away okay some of it could be the dating or it could be like i'm used to all these things that that movie invented because i saw other things first yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, so that's valid. I, I don't think it, it's probably not this movie's fault. All right. Well, when dealing with a Philistine like you, I guess that's about the best I can hope for, right? I'm sorry to end on such like a, a dour sort of mood. Well, it's all right. You know, it's uh, it's the movie is a tragedy, and I guess so is our friendship. <laughs> um. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, anyway, Ian, it was really great to have you on. I okay. I enjoyed doing this one. Uh, do you think you're going to want to come back for Godfather Part Two? Sure. All right. Well, we'll All figure right. something out about that.
Okay. And in the meantime, uh, if you'd like to contact the podcast, our email is betterlatethanneverpod at gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is at betterlate underscore pod. Ian, one last time, great having you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.